0: Hello, it's Bernard Nomberg with the Nomberg Law Firm in Birmingham, Alabama. Each month, David and I host Work Comp Today. It's a monthly YouTube live show where we discuss the monthly news and newsmaking events concerning employers, employees, and independent contractors. Our guest this month is Arizona attorney, Javier Grajeda. Javier comes from, many years of experience in the work comp world and we really enjoyed having him as our guest this month we hope you'll enjoy this month's episode of work comp today if you like this episode of work comp today and want to hear future episodes please consider subscribing to our channel we put these episodes out each month about a week to 10 days after they're live on youtube Also, it would really help us out if you would consider giving us a five star review and rating, and we would sure appreciate it. Thank you again for tuning in to Work Comp Today. All right. Welcome, everybody. It's Bernard Nomberg and David Nomberg with our monthly Work Comp Today YouTube Live show. Hope everybody is doing well. It's the fourth week of the month. And this is where we talk about the news, what's been going on in the previous month, impacting independent contractors, employers, and employees. And it's not always about work comp. It could be about unions, it could be about gig economy, but what it always seems to involve is Amazon. Dave, how are you doing today, bud? I'm doing great. Good to see you guys today. As always, Dave really brings the noise. He is enthusiastic about this show as anybody. If you would, please introduce our buddy Javier coming out of Arizona today. Work comp fires me up, Bernard. I know it does.
1: So we're pleased to have Javier Grajeda with us. Javier uh, practices work comp law in Arizona. And like us, he uh, is, uh, represents injured workers and does a really good job of it. He's become our friend over the years uh, through our uh, membership in the Workers' Injury Law Advocacy Group. So Javier, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to everybody and uh, tell us what you do and where you practice.
2: Well, thank you both for having me here today. I've been really excited to speak to you, and uh, I hope we can have some lively conversation. Uh, I work at the law office of Robert Wisniewski. Uh, I've been here for three years. I've been a practicing lawyer for going on 12 years. years. The only thing that I do is workers' compensation. I know, uh, Bernard, you do some Social Security, uh, but Bob and I were one trick ponies, Social Security. I'm sorry, we're comp. Uh, I'm bilingual. Uh, I'm a board-certified specialist, and I really enjoy what I'm doing, and I've really enjoyed being a part of uh, WILLIG, the Workers' Injury Advocacy Law Group, uh, and meeting individuals like you who, you know, we can have these good conversations about our area of law.
0: Well, we really appreciate you making some time and, and joining us, and it really is each month when we do this It's our way of of sharing some time with colleagues from different parts of the country. We're hoping that those who are watching stay awake, of course, during the hour, but learn a little bit more about not just our state, Alabama, where we practice, but our our guest state, this state, this time uh, with Javier, with you being out of Arizona, our laws are so vastly different. Uh, Frankly, this is kind of our soapbox each month for David and I grouse about how crappy our laws are. And we even get more depressed when we hang up the phone or hang up this call because it's inevitable whatever state our guests are from, their laws are typically a little more progressive. They pay a little bit better for their clients or the injured workers. The attorney's fees may be a little bit more better uh, than they are in Alabama. But with all of that said, we do appreciate you being here today. And I think, guys, we can go ahead and jump in to our topics for the day unless you guys have any other housekeeping matters you want to want to go over sounds good let's get started all right the first one comes out of new york of course it deals with amazon new york city amazon workers vote to unionize the first in the retail giant's history and it's particularly of interest to us because last month or the month before In one of the neighboring communities to Birmingham, our hometown, Amazon took a vote in Bessemer, Alabama, and the vote did not pass. However, in New York, being much more progressive in many other ways, it did pass here. Javier, did you get a chance to look over this? Did did it make any impact? Uh, Any thoughts, I guess, initially?
2: I did have a chance to look at the article and a couple of things that stood out to me, and I, I did a little research outside of the article, is that one of the reasons that the people at this warehouse in Staten Island wanted to unionize was because of the, the safety regulations that were not in place during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting because that's certainly at the heart of what we all do in our practices, but it was also interesting to me because here in Arizona, Amazon has seven distribution centers. Uh, Arizona is a very uh, business-friendly state. And I'm just curious and kind of excited to find out whether that momentum carries from New York all the way out here to Arizona.
0: Well, it's and Dave, I saw that even more recently than that, a second location, maybe on Staten Island, I think, or, or the different sorting center uh, is going to have a vote sometime this week. I haven't this, the article that I, the follow-up article from earlier in the week. I haven't seen anything since to see whether or not this location also passed from a union standpoint. Uh, just talking in in general, Dave. Why why would they want to have a union? I think Javier hit it on a little bit, but why? What's the advantage in theory of being part of a union? as opposed to Amazon's claim, hey, we're taking care of you guys, we got great wages, we got 401Ks and college incentives. Why do they still wanna have a union? I think that they
1: can argue, excuse me, that they can, they can bargain as a group with Amazon for better wages, for better benefits, for uh, additional sick and leave time when they've been injured at work. I think that as opposed to one person uh, trying to push that through with Amazon, you've got a larger group doing it together. They're part of a union, they can, they can, they can negotiate uh, with Amazon for that. Um, and there's a lot of protections there that the union can provide as opposed to just one or two or a smaller group trying to push better benefits for Amazon workers.
0: And Javier, from from your perspective, maybe some of your experience with your practice, do you does your firm represent a lot of union workers?
2: Unions aren't very strong here in Arizona. Uh, the big unions tend to be uh, workers for the supermarkets, uh, electricians, uh, police, and firefighters. So um, we we do get a handful of union members and it's a, it's a blessing and a curse a bit because you have to sometimes they'll come to us for advice and they have already have expectations based on something that a union member or a union rep might have told them that may not be 100% correct so it creates that extra barrier for us but you know we're always we're always willing to help anybody that's part of a union because you know they they get so much support outside of the Work Comp system, just through their community and whatnot. Um, so, that's that's so, those are some of the challenges we face in, in dealing with union members.
0: Dave, when you've got an injured worker you represent, and they tell you they're part of a union, does that help you, or or does that create a, a an extra layer of of just headache for you, particularly? when it comes to, if you're looking at a retaliatory discharge claim, when someone's been fired and they believe it's because they maintained a work comp claim, you know, similar to what Javier
1: said, um, sometimes the information they get about Alabama work comp may not be Mm -hmm. exactly correct. And so we have to, uh, uh, adjust some expectations there. But on the other hand, uh, a lot of times you'll see union members who have a higher average weekly wage uh, than a non-union member. Thus, their claim can become more valuable, which is great for them. We don't see a lot of union members in Alabama. Uh, I think in the article we learned that uh, 22% of employees in uh, New York were uh, labor, uh, union members. The national average is about 10%. In Alabama, it's less than 6% of employees are union members. So you're not dealing with a large population uh, in Alabama. Thus, we don't see a lot of union members. But again, the the, the benefits usually for union members are better than
0: non-union members. Yeah. I I was looking at the numbers in the Bessemer vote from from March. Almost 1,000 voted against it. About 875 voted in favor of it. And there was about 400 ballots, I guess, were, that were uncounted. Yeah. but and while in Bessemer, it did not approve.
1: But I oh. believe there's going to be a hearing, there is a hearing schedule because mm-hmm. there's over 400 votes that are in, being contested by, they're in, being contested.
0: So that, that issue is not over. And I think the timing of these, Javier, with the first one in New York to pass, the second one this week. And then when we have the hearing, the one in Birmingham, excuse me, in Bessemer, I'm wondering if that's going to create a shift if the folks in New York get to the folks in, in Alabama and say, hey, look, here's what we're doing. I, I don't know if it's going to create some momentum there, but uh, being- I, don't know.
2: I don't know if it will either, but uh, as someone that you know represents working class people, I, I would like to hope that you know, they at least members of Amazon and other states kind of take a look at this and really, uh, you know, do their homework as to whether or not they want to be uh, union members. Um, and I'm, I i don't know a whole lot about, you know, the intricacies of what happens after you form a union, but I, I still think that workers still have a ways to go, right? They have, even though they form the union, will Amazon then work with them to, to reach benefits and an agreement on those things. Um, it's a, uh, but another interesting thing is you, you said that the Bessemer uh, vote was going to, was going to have another hearing. Amazon actually contested the, the, the uh, results of the Staten Island warehouse and they were alleging that the NLRB didn't uh, do some of its vote counting procedures correctly and neither did the union. So, since, uh, since their Amazon is alleging that they're actually moving that case to the Phoenix NLRB office. So that makes it even more exciting because it's going to come out of here. And so I think that news will spread among working communities and they, they, should, uh, they should have an interest in that.
0: You know, Dave, as we grow the work comp today, we may, we may have to utilize Javier being the boots on the ground reporter for us and come back next month and give us an update. We, uh, we may have to talk to you after this as uh, the, yeah. the first correspondent for uh, WCT. But uh, yeah. when we GNN started- the and News Network. That's, that's right. Well, one step
2: at a time. I You know, I can start with like a snack stipend.
0: <laughs> uh, there we go. Uh, Dave, you know, when we started this in September of 19, two and a half years ago, none of us could have predicted where none of us are in the science world, the medical world, about the pandemic. But quickly, if four or five shows in, the pandemic became the reoccurring theme for, for us. Not just Amazon, then the gig economy, and many other themes that have progressed through this, but Amazon, these big chains of, around the, the country, because they have the most newsworthy issues, have, have kind of make appearances. Anyway, I'm sure Amazon's not going anywhere. I'm sure we'll come back to this another time. But I want to shift to our next, and this is our second topic, and it's really the big topic of the, the, the episode for today, is it was a study that came out of New York Law School. The Center for Justice and Democracy put this together. It came out about two weeks ago, and the title of it is System Letdown worker safety harm and compensation in the age of COVID-19. As much as we want all of this to be behind us, it's not going anywhere. We're going to be reporting on this for the next couple of years. Hopefully as the numbers go down, even though the variants are, are there, we're now hopefully as a society learning how to deal with it better. But this study gives us a really good insight as to the how the pandemic, has impacted workers in all fields, not just healthcare, not just frontline, but everywhere. And I want to dive into this a little bit, guys, to talk about what it has to say. And then I want some feedback from your experiences, Javier, you in Arizona, me and Dave here in Alabama, to see if it is similar to what these studies have to say. And there's really no I'm just gonna pick a place because it's such a huge uh, paper here. And bless you, Javier, if you read the whole thing, I have to admit, I did not. I know David did not. Um, He's wrong. I just want I you read it. To, come on now. I just want some of your feedback here, guys. Early in the pandemic, employers and insurance industry began aggressively lobbying and, and had media efforts aimed at reducing their responsibility for compensating workers. And man, if that doesn't hit right on the nose in Alabama. Dave, I'm gonna let you start right there. But before you address that specific comment, do we have any protections for our workers under the Alabama Work Compact or amendments that have helped injured workers or workers who've actually died from exposure? Yeah. So unlike many states,
1: Alabama passed no laws that benefited uh, employees. Uh, they still employees are still protected under the Alabama Work Compact, and they still have to prove that they, if they got COVID, that they, they got it at work. They still have to prove that as an occupational disease. But Alabama did not pass any laws uh, making it a presumption that if a certain type of worker uh, contracted COVID, that they, that they got it at work. Uh, in fact, we, Alabama did pass laws that made it harder to, uh, sue businesses, uh, for if you say you got COVID, uh, at, at work, uh, or at a business. Okay. To, to your question, um, that, that this, this article is really interesting and it places a lot of the blame for the COVID spread, the spread of COVID, uh, at workplaces stating that that America's workplaces were the primary source of COVID-19 outbreaks mm-hmm. and, and something that I kind of forgot about was you go back to March of 2020. Um, and let me find the specific thing I wanted to read. March 16, 2020, America is on lockdown. And that's when the federal government issued the coronavirus guidelines for America. It says, if you work in a critical infrastructure industry as defined by the Department of Homeland Security, and that included healthcare, pharmaceutical, and food supply, then you had a special responsibility to maintain your normal work schedule. And so, therefore, those industries were hit very hard. Those employees and those industries were hit very hard because we had very few protections, really didn't know how to protect injured workers back then as far as not providing social distancing, not providing PPE and masks and so forth.
0: I just saw a statistic and, and it didn't break it down between employees, people working versus age and things. We're fast approaching a million Americans will have died by the end of this month was the, the model they showed uh, in the last, what, 25 months or so of the pandemic. Javier, let's switch to you, Bud. Let's the, the question was or the comment was, employers in the insurance industry began aggressive lobbying and media efforts aimed at reducing their responsibility for compensating workers. In Arizona, did you did this get onto your radar? Did it make the local news or talks amongst your colleagues about this, these issues?
2: Oh, absolutely. These issues came up here in Arizona. Uh, much like you all in Alabama, we did not pass anything to give workers or any particular class of workers a presumption that they, uh, that they caught the coronavirus at work. Um, at, over the last three years, these cases have gotten more difficult. As the virus has spread and become more commonplace, it's really hard to successfully litigate those. At the beginning of the pandemic, I felt like uh, judges and doctors were possibly a little more willing to say, yeah, more likely than not, you got it at work because you just went home, you didn't go out. Um, but it really did have an impact on those frontline workers. And when you talk about how uh, how industry tried to make a, a media push, something that comes to mind for me is uh, the meat industry. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of Hispanic workers work in that industry. And a lot of them were dying because they were contracting COVID because they were like two or three feet away from each other with no PPE working long hours because people were dying left and right uh, because we didn't know much about this disease. And, you know, they came out and I think they fought that industry was really vocal and anti-COVID. safety measures for their for their employees. So it, it's it's disappointing, but I certainly understand the economic part of it. The country the country and the world still needed to run to a degree. So we're, how do we balance those things? And I think that this article has really shed some some light on some of the some of the things we really have to make some improvements on or take a look at a little more closely to to Really bring forth the the purpose of the workers' compensation system is to help people get better and hopefully get back to work and be substantial contributors to our society.
0: Yeah, it um, it, it really was the and to a certain extent still is kind of the wild west. Unfortunately, and this is not open for topic in this conversation, but it became politicized wearing your mask, not wearing your mask, certain things that you could do, should do. Even within our state, I, I suspect Arizona the same, depending on where you were geographically within the, in, within the state, the size of your community would often dictate how serious those communities took the precautions. Certain parts of our state still don't recognize that there was anything wrong with having COVID-19 or the pandemic other parts of our state took it extremely seriously. So I suspect that every state could probably say that to a certain extent.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, even within the political subdivisions, you know, we have a Republican governor and, you know, I thought that he did a pretty good job of navigating the initial, uh, you know, months and then, you know, it became more politicized and They were having arguments with local mayors about, you know, masking policies or not masking policies and they start and then they ultimately pass laws that would prevent, uh, you know, cities and municipalities from passing those laws, passing the vaccine laws. So it's really frustrating. But, you know, I think that, again, there's a lot to take from these last three years. And I think that we can hopefully, you know, try to work towards a better system for everyone.
0: Yeah, and for those of you, I want to kind of reset where we are within our show today. For those of you who are watching us live, and we appreciate that, or you may catch us later on in, in in a replay, this is our monthly work comp today where we talk about issues of the day, of the month, impacting employers, employees, and independent contractors. Our guest this month is Javier Grajeda out of Arizona. We appreciate Javier being with us today. And in a little while, when we finish this article, we're gonna talk a little bit about a contrast between how Arizona handles certain parts of the work comp process versus Alabama. Dave, I wanna to shift to you for a minute and talk about, have you reviewed, I know you have, it's been dozens, of potential cases, whether they're long COVID where the, the symptoms remain or there have been deaths, or other versions in there, what percentage of those cases that you've looked at that you actually have signed up as clients and going forward with claims? Yeah. So
1: very consistent with what the article said about work comp claims in COVID, um, I've, I've reviewed and talked to a lot of people uh, who've been exposed to COVID at work and wanted to pursue a COVID case. But for the most part, like a large percentage of the population who uh, became infected with COVID-19, their symptoms were permanent. They uh, were sick for uh, a week to 10 days, might have missed a little bit of work, missed some wages, but, but recovered and returned back to the workplace. And that's a very hard case to win and a very small recovery be, could be made for the injured worker. And especially in light of the fact that would have to be litigated in court in Alabama could be very expensive and the recovery is very limited. Again, we don't have the presumption that that person got COVID at work. Um, So we are filing one COVID case, uh, next month, um, that we've been reviewing and investigating for, uh, about 20 months now. And our client, died about a month after she was uh COVID positive and that was in May of 2020 before there was a vaccine before there was proper PPE um and there was very little social distancing at her work and so uh she died about a month after uh getting infected with COVID-19 so we'll we'll be filing a COVID uh death case uh for her uh surviving husband and child and I look forward to uh addressing that in court and winning benefits for her family.
0: Yeah, these cases, Javier, I suspect it's probably similar in in every state. To have any successful workers' compensation claim, you have to prove legal causation and medical causation. Let's assume for these facts, we've got legal causation. Let's just assume. It's the medical causation that seems to be the real hurdle because how do you prove you contracted COVID-19 from something at work as opposed to any other cause? Your child coming home from school or being in the neighborhood, I could come up with a thousand reasons. What about y'all's practice? Do you have a COVID-19 um, protocol about seeing if the cases are are worthy of going forward. Are y'all handling a lot of those cases right now? What's what's going on with you guys?
2: One of the first things that happened amongst the uh, claimants' attorneys was that we all kind of, we have a local group here, and we all kind of put together some, you know, some intake questionnaires that really narrow down some of those questions. And they were circulating amongst each other, amongst ourselves. And much like what David said, we would have a lot of people that would get it and they'd be sick for two or three weeks. And while the while we wanted to help, it just didn't make financial sense to us. And you know, lawyers are always getting bad raps because we want, you know, we want the the bad injuries or the or the deaths. And those are really the ones that we were we were focusing on the long haul COVID people who probably more likely than not were in first frontline uh, employed uh, firefighters, police officers, nurses. Um, that's really what we wanted to do, but you're right. The medical causation part is even was hard then. It's even harder now. It's hard then because we, there was very little known about it. Um, it you had to prove that you you were essentially a hermit or you had a really small group of people that you would deal with and um, it's just unfortunate because some of the cases that have come before us we know legally that more likely than not they got it at work but the people don't have the money to prove it to get a doctor you have some other warts on it and we just unfortunately have to say you know "I'm, i'm sorry that this happened to your family member but we just can't we can't make
0: the case. Yeah, we, we've all had way too many of those conversations in the last in the last two years. Um, all right, let's let's keep going forward in this article because there really are that's just one that's just one comment or one observation from it. We've talked about how some states and even in some dangerous professions, a large majority of those claims have been denied. I, I would dare say across the board over 95, maybe 98% of all claims across the country have, have been denied. Um, we, we, David and I have talked in the past, Javier, what are the circumstances? What are the, the fact pattern that would lead you to having a case that would be approved? Because we have, we have no presumptions under Alabama law for frontline workers for anybody. I don't know about Arizona, but there's no presumption that just because you're in job A and you get diagnosed that you're going to be automatically taken care of. I think it's the very, very rare employer who will do something for you.
2: I think you're right. And I want to say something about the Industrial Commission of Arizona. They're the administrative agency that oversees the workers' compensation cases. Uh, At the onset of the pandemic. They issued a statement that said, these COVID claims need to be looked at closely and not denied summarily. You need to do your investigation. Um, I think that guidance is good guidance. I think that should always happen in any work comp claim. Did it happen? I I can't say. Um, But perhaps there are numbers on that somewhere here in Arizona uh, that I'm not privy to. But if we if we think back if we think to what would make what fact sets would make me want to take that on um, the in, the individual whether they have long hauler symptoms and how those symptoms impact their ability to return to work or whether someone passed away um, the number of communications and interactions that that person had with other people in their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not they are vaccinated, I think that's a big deal. Um, I've, I've had to interview some people and ask them, well, was your family member vaccinated? They say no. And then they, and I said, well, that's okay. But they're like, well, we didn't want to get it. Or we had these other underlying issues that wouldn't allow us to get it. But I'm tired of people asking us why we weren't vaccinated. I'm like, well, I'm not trying to pass judgment on you. but just, we need to know. Yeah, it's part of the equation. It's part of the equation. And... Yeah. Um, Another thing is other employees. How do you, if you know that you might have had an employee that was positive, that you might have gotten it from, how do you get that information to confirm it, really? Um, The employer is not going to share that with you. Um, So it's just becoming a lot harder to do these claims. And uh, unless, you know, you're with a COVID patient and they sneeze on you and then you get it. I mean, that's the slam dunk. But those, those cases don't come around.
0: What about the scenarios, and I'm kind of sidestepping away from this. There was a comment, a question made. Javier, were there any, did the employers have the right in Arizona to have mandatory vaccinations of their employees as part of your employment? <coughs> Excuse me. That
2: was a political football. Um, and it makes me think of an example of the Mayo Clinic the Mayo Clinic, um, you know, world-renowned health care provider, they they decided that they wanted to have, you needed to have your vaccine to come work. And they faced some backlash and some people left. And if I recall correctly, um, I think they eventually backed off of it some. Um, So it really depended on the size of the employer, the nature of the employment. Um, But again, as you said earlier, it just became so politicized that you, we really didn't get to the heart of the issue is, you know, keeping, keeping workers safe.
0: Dave, what about in Alabama? Did they have the same requirements? Um, so employers in Alabama were permitted
1: to uh, mandate the vaccine until um, there was a court case, if I, is that right? It was a court decision not too long ago that kind of where I guess it provided uh, that that the employer could not mandate it. So a lot of uh, so that it happened about the time when some employers, some employers were, were were quick to mandate it and then some were slower. So it didn't. So I really didn't feel too many phone calls after that asking, you know, can my employer uh, require me to get the vaccine? No. Um, but I def- definitely early on, there were several hospitals that were mandating it. From I remember there's big, uh, in Houston, I think, there was the hospitals requiring it. So there was a lot of talk about uh, employees who, who wouldn't get m- vaccinated, even though they worked in healthcare, they were nurses, medical professionals. Uh, but that seems to have died down some after that, uh, the court decision.
0: You know, we've always told our clients there's a reason why these insurance companies have really really big buildings it's because they have really really big stockpiles of money during the pandemic nothing changed to deter those comments in fact the study says that it became a windfall because the number of claims at the beginning of the pandemic or excuse me throughout the pandemic reduced because not as many people were working, and they closed, excuse me, and they took the pretty much a blanket overall approach that we're not paying out on these claims. And I really think it just continues to point or paint the insurance companies in a really bad light. Is there anything to contradict (laughs) that part of the study? gonna say work
1: comp insurance is profitable for insurance companies, yeah. And then when you take into account that the, the number of layoffs and, and shutdowns and, and then not only that, but people working remotely, people working at home, you've got less people who can get hurt at work, less people who can make work comp claims. And then, yeah, I mean, COVID cases, COVID work comp claims obviously went up, uh, but so, so many of those were those claims were denied and no money's ever paid on those. That, that insurance work comp insurance companies uh, reaped a windfall uh, over the last couple of years uh, based on what's happened in, in, in the U.S.
2: I agree with that, but I, I do think there's probably a, a day of reckoning to some degree coming for them as as the economy continues to grow, people go back to work. Uh, you know, I think those will come back. You'll have an increased number of cases. Um, I also think that at least my experience here in Arizona is we've had a lot of problems with carriers not having sufficient staffing to appropriately adjust the claims. Yep. And so uh, a lot of my colleagues are filing bad faith complaints in civil court. Mm-hmm. And so, it, yes, they might have you know, earned a little bit more on the premium, but the ripple effects of that, are, I think, are still it's still going to shake out.
0: Javier I just filed suit this past week because it's since December I've been waiting to get a response from an adjuster who keeps pushing me off on the excuse I have too many files and I can't get to your claim but yet my lady has not had her pain medicine since November I have to file suit I got to get it out of her hands got to get it to the defense attorney who at least Will now look at it, and that also starts the clock running, where I get a judge to give us an order.
2: And you're and you're absolutely right. And you know, I've found that some of my def, uh, my defense attorney colleagues are just as spread thin as the adjusters. But I, I think it's a it's an insurance problem. Uh, they have they're taking premiums. They have a responsibility to, in good faith, process these claims in a yeah. timely manner. And The other ripple effect for us is I can, I can tell my client, you know, I've called the adjuster, I've emailed them, I've sent them a letter and they don't, they then stop believing me over time because they just think that I'm pushing them aside. And so it's really, it's going to, it has impacted my practice because people think, well, I might need to go somewhere else because Javier can't get it done, but it has nothing to do with Javier. But
0: David, you haven't been fighting for my rights. I hired you. To do this, you're not fighting for me. How are you combating that these days? Um,
1: by explaining to our clients that the work comp process is slow, um, that we call, we send emails, we send letters to the adjuster uh, frequently and constantly do follow up. And if we reach the breaking point, and we can't get any response, and we give the client the option at that point uh, to file a lawsuit. Yeah. We just go around the adjuster if we're not getting the response we need. File a lawsuit, that way we're in front of the judge, they'll have uh, hired a lawyer to represent them, and then we've got somebody that we
0: communicate with at that point. Yeah, and that was my scenario from from this week. The last thing, guys, we could talk for six hours on this study alone. It's amazing amount of material in here. But the last thing I wanted to bring up, it's just a comment. At least thirty states enacted COVID nineteen liability shields that immunized negligent businesses and other legal entities from accountability. Many laws have, have since expired, but a significant number of them of the states it still remains in in place, and that just shows how quickly the laws were put into place not to help those who were helping the country. Those who were doing the work were doing so at their own peril. And Javier, I I am sure that you fielded the calls like we did, particularly the first half of 2020. Do I have to keep doing this job? Because they're now struggling between, I won't have any money coming in unless the government pays us something. And I'm gonna lose all my benefits. I'm gonna lose all my job, but I'm now exposing myself and my family to this dreaded disease. How many of those calls did you guys each field during 2020, particularly? Dozens upon dozens. And,
2: you know, Arizona was one of those states that did jump into the, uh, the shield law and it made it effective at the beginning of the pandemic and it's supposed and it's in effect until the end of this year um and and again it's the it's the it's the it's the problem that always nags us work comp lawyers is you have these people that are working and they have a choice to make do i get do i put myself at further risk of injuring myself because i have an injury or i could get uh this disease or do i provide for my family Which do I do? I think most people are gonna try to provide for their family because in many cases, they're the only ones that can.
0: You know, David, an analogous situation is when you have an injured worker who's seen their ATP, the authorized treating physician. They've reached MMI, the doctor gives the return to work status, limitations, et cetera. The employer says, I can't bring you back into the workplace because you do physical work. And it says you have a limitation of 10 pounds. You go get that lifted, or if you get it raised to 20 pounds, I'll bring you back. So then it forces our client to go back home to discuss this with family, then go see their authorized physician and say, look, doc, here's what I need from you. Sometimes the doctors will do what's asked because maybe it's not too much of a stretch, other times the doctors say, I'm not putting myself in harm's way when you get hurt again and come back and then blame, blame me. We've all seen that many, many times. Guys, let's put a, a plug in the study for now. We've been going at it that for almost 30 minutes, but I want to spend the last couple of minutes of our show comparing Arizona and Alabama. Dave, I'm going to let you jump off first we're going to talk about the fight for medical care. That seems in my practice, one of the biggest issues, if not the big issue. Sure. Why is that Dave? Why do we see medical care fights in the work comp arena? So, so prevalent because,
1: uh, that's where the bulk of money is spent on a work comp claim in Alabama. It's close to 70 cents of every premium dollar is spent on the medical side of things. Not the money that goes to the injured worker yeah. but the medical the medical providers the doctors the hospitals the pharmacy the money is spent on medical and work comps. so that's where the fight is usually
0: Javier do you do you see a similar fight in Arizona is there a different so we typically have to go to court get a court order to get things done how do you deal with that in, in Arizona
2: well, in a, in a couple of ways, we usually face a few hurdles. Um, we have a fee schedule. So the doctors are paid based on the Arizona fee schedule. So the surgery might be billed at $80,000, but they're only gonna get 10. Um, we Here in Arizona, we've also adopted the official disability guidelines for treatment. I don't know if you all have that in, in Alabama, but it's a, it's a rubric of when you have a certain condition, These are the steps that you need to take before you can go on to the next form of treatment. Now, some of the carriers have a utilization review company that will do that. And oftentimes it's denied and that requires us to go to hearing. Um, And that sparks an independent medical exam. And maybe at that point, the independent medical examiner will agree, but now months have passed and and the person has not gotten the treatment they need. That's the big fight delay. Um Another fight that we often have is here in Arizona, certain self-insured employers can direct care. So they can send you to whoever they want. But the, one of the problems that I have with it personally is they're supposed to tell you where you can treat. And usually the list that they give you is just Concentra, the, the health clinics, you know the occupational clinics, and it's really left to the whim of the Particular adjuster, and sometimes you can talk to you know talk to an adjuster to get to someone who they feel is neutral or you know at least reasonable. But other times they just they don't have to give you an answer. They'll be like, no, nope, I don't want Doctor A, I want Doctor B, and that's the way it's going to be. If you have an issue, take it to court and prove that you, uh, this treatment is going to harm the individual's recovery. So that's where I that's where I see it potentially going here in Arizona. Um, I always worry about that. I hope it doesn't happen, but it it's, it looms.
0: It's a messy argument probably in every state. Javier, most of the time, our our injured workers have to go through what we call the gatekeeper doctor, and that's not a specialist. That's somebody who's a typically a general practitioner, and they get to evaluate, they get to assess, and they get to determine whether our injured worker needs to see a particular specialist or have a particular diagnostic tool. And the big fight, the big argument is when they say, you don't need any more care, go to work. But our guy says, yeah, I do. I want to see a different doctor and it's called a panel of four. But there's the the statutory law, Dave, that I know you love so well. When the ATP says you don't need any more care, that's where the fun begins, why? Because that's when the adjuster can say or the defense counsel can say, we're not doing anything else in this case. And so that's when we have to head to court. And, and you know, thankfully, if if I get
2: involved, Bob gets involved, or other colleagues get involved early enough, we can direct people away from those occupational clinics to the doctors that uh, we know have an interest in the applicant's health and we know that they're well-versed in the workers' compensation system so that, that if it does get to a hearing, we know that we have theirs. They'll, they'll support their, their patient.
0: We do have those, but there's so few foreign spread out. Dave, let's talk about notice. One of the requirements to maintain an Alabama work comp claim is notice. What does notice in Alabama mean? So when the injured worker,
1: uh, when the employee suffers an accident at work, then they're to provide notice to their employer that they have been injured. And so they have to tell their employer they've been injured and ask for medical treatment. Um, and so they have to do so verbally within five days of the accident or within 90 days in writing of the accident. And, uh, also been uh, since we've been talking about COVID-19, That is considered uh, an occupational exposure under Alabama law. And so there's no requirement that the uh, employee who's been exposed to COVID-19 and contracted at work provide notice
0: of the occupational exposure. So just wanted to point that out. Javier, sometimes we'll have a potential new client come to us and it's been 85 days since they got hurt and you gotta quickly scramble. You gotta send an email or certified letter today and then even then it may still be too late because everything's kind of set in stone. Do you guys have a notice provision or requirement for a work comp claim in Arizona?
2: You do. It it doesn't have a day limitation, much like you have in Alabama. Uh, the injured worker must provide notice forthwith to their employer. So forthwith. Forthwith. But you know, whatever what does that mean? Uh within a reasonable amount of time when the individual knew or should have known that they had a work-related injury. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you uh, face this problem as well. An injured worker will say, well, I told my supervisor and they didn't do a report or they didn't send me for medical care. Yeah. And then fast forward to the hearing process, it's a it's a who said what and who do you believe? Um, however, I think the forthwith reporting is, uh, is important because you do have to give the employer and the carrier an opportunity to give you treatment and to mm-hmm. so you don't exacerbate your condition. And unfortunately, that's uh, many times people just are their own worst enemy when it comes to that because yeah. they didn't know or they thought they did the right thing. Um, so they'll that that will always be an affirmative defense for the carriers and and also with notice. People always think, well, I told my employer my claim should be going. Well, here in Arizona, we have an administrative step that you have to take. You have to file your claim with the Industrial Commission to really get it going. That's when it's officially a claim, not when you tell your
0: employer. We often find that the claim dies with the supervisor because the supervisor doesn't want to turn it in because their year-end bonus is tied to injury claims or dates away from work because of injury or accident so just another area where we have to to fight but guys as we conclude we've got one more area javier does it make a difference when a person who's employed by the state of arizona is injured on the job as opposed to somebody who's employed by a private employer like a construction company is there are there different laws procedures policies anything like that there are no different uh,
2: procedures they go through the industrial commission of arizona they have to report to their employer file the claim. Uh, the state of Arizona is self-insured. With regards to how benefits are paid, they might have, I haven't had a state claim in some time, but sometimes states and municipalities, they'll conti- they might continue to pay salary, they might pay PTO, and there's no comp paid. So it, that could vary. I, I haven't had a state claim in a while, so I, I won't say definitively, but it's the same process that everybody
0: else gets. Dave, how many lawyers in the state of Alabama who do work comp actually handle state employee comp claims? Yeah, not many. It's
1: uh few far between. Yeah, so the Alabama Workers' Compensation Act is for employers, employees, uh, the private employers, like a, you know private business uh, or a Walmart, or a, uh, Amazon. They're under the Alabama Work Comp Act and their employees are as well. But if you are, work for the state of Alabama, if you're an employee of the state of Alabama, you don't fall under the Alabama workers compensation act you're a separate own separate laws and it's called the uh, state employee injury compensation trust fund so if you get hurt at work as a state of Alabama employee
0: you have a different you're under a different set of laws and it's and not a lot of lawyers ad- represent state employees on yeah comp. it's largely administrative and um, it's a lot of paper that uh, we don't we don't handle them Javier We have come to the end of our monthly discussion. We want to thank you for being such a willing participant today.
2: Uh, Well, thank you for having me. It's nice to talk to you about these issues and we could go on for another couple hours, but hopefully uh, I get to see you both in uh, the end of September when we have the Willie convention here in Scottsdale. Um, Hopefully we can share a drink then.
0: We we are very much looking forward to it. David, what is your... Your subtitle or your alternative name for Work Comp today, our our monthly YouTube live show. Uh, work Comp Nerds. <laughs> work comp nerds. And we wear that badge proudly yeah.
1: every every month. Yeah, Javier, so. we'll be booking our flights to uh, Phoenix uh, real soon. Looking forward to it.
2: All right, looking forward to having you here. And thank you again for the invitation.
0: Thank you, Javier. And this, guys, this will thank you for those who watched us live in the comments and if you watch us later on you have 10 different ways to get in touch with us this is our monthly work comp today where we talk about the events of the month involving independent contractors employees and employers and as we do every month we tell you please be safe out there y'all be well and we'll catch you next month